right, friends, while they receive the offering. Uh, you can go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you brought them. If you didn't, there's a blue one actually underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and fish for that, pull that out. Uh, we're going to be flipping through a few different passages today. Um, so if you're, if you're new to Flourishing Grace, usually we'll just kind of camp out in one passage. Um, but, so I, that said, we're going to, you got to have some fast thumbs this morning, or, or I'm going to be nice and put it on the screen for you uh, this morning as well. Uh, but we're going to start off in Philippians 2. So um, if, you, if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, which I encourage you to, Philippians 2 is, is kind of a head start for you. Uh, we've been in this um, new endeavor, this initiative that we're calling the path of flourishing, the path of flourishing. You see, if you read the, the Gospels, in particular the Gospel of John, again and again and again and again, you see Jesus offering life. He, he says flat out, I came to give life and give it abundantly, right? Um, I mean, in him was light and the light was the life of men. Like that's right out of the gate in John chapter one. And again and again and again and again, uh, we see this offer of Christ for life. He offers the woman at the well living water, like this, this, this soul quenching, satisfying. He says, I'm the bread of life, right? There's in him is this deep satisfaction, this deep joy, this deep delight found in Christ. And yet when I talk to friends who are Christians, they would say, man, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I ask them, how is your relationship with Jesus? They say, my relationship with what? What are we talking about? Or, or uh, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like, is it soul satisfying? Like, is there joy forevermore there? Is there life in abundance? Or are you tired and weary, worn out? Like, it, what is it? Is, is life outweighing your joy in Christ? Like, are you experiencing flourishing in your life? And our passion here at Flourishing Grace, our, our biggest passion is to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's, that's what we do. How do we do that? Well, that, the, the, the path of flourishing is the answer to that question. That, that is our response to the question, how do I have a flourishing relationship with Jesus? And so we've developed these four pathways, nothing new. These are things that have been around for well over a thousand years. Um, but these four pathways um, that say, man, if these things are true in your, if you're, of your life, then you're going to be experiencing some, some serious flourishing. And the first pathway that we walk through together, we spent three weeks talking about beholding Jesus. If you're... If, if your gaze is fixed on the source of all human flourishing, if you're abiding in the vine, and that's step one, you must turn your gaze towards Christ. And then we spent three weeks talking about uh, be, flourishing by following Jesus. And we unpacked what that actually means to follow Jesus. So many people say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. But when you actually look, that, look at that through the first century Israelite lens of what it means to follow a rabbi, most people aren't following Jesus. Like, it's, this is a hardcore thing to, to follow a rabbi. And so when Jesus says, follow me, that's the lens in which he is speaking. Like, that's, that's what he means. Come, come give your life, the fullness of your life, to following me. Emulate me in every single way. And we unpacked, well, how do we do that in 2019, South Davis County? We unpacked that. Now, we've moved into an, a new pathway, the pathway of becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. I mean, you want to truly flourish. Like, this this is the sweetest part of all this. Actually being transformed into his likeness. We unpacked this last week. Um, <clears throat> this idea of Christ in us, transforming us from one degree of glory to another into the same image, into, the, into his own image, into the image of Christ. 
God moving in us and working in us to, to make us like him. All right, so pastors and theologians and Bible college nerds like me, like there's a, there's a big word that we use for this called sanctification. All right, and sanctification is simply that. It's God's work in you through his spirit to conform you into the image of his son, to make you like Jesus. That is what God does. And so this morning, here's the question that I want us to wrestle with, okay? As we continue in this uh, path of flourishing, as we continue in what does it look like to become like Jesus, the, an- the question I want us to answer is this. H- how does being made into the image of Jesus, how does becoming like Jesus lead to flourishing in our lives? H- how does becoming like Jesus actually produce flourishing in our lives? That's what we're going to be answering this morning. Um, If you've been around Flourishing Grace for any season of time at all, you've heard me talk about something called the perfect preferred future. You guys been around, who who here has been here long enough to hear me talk about that? Like, yes, okay, I talk about that a lot. It's something that I'm actually passionate about. Uh, For those of you who are new, uh, here, here is my argument, okay? Every single person in this room, every single person on this planet has a perfect preferred future. In fact, you have multiple perfect preferred futures, right? You have short term perfect preferred futures. Like, you have a hope of how today's gonna go, right? I don't know what your plans are for this afternoon. I don't know what you got going on. Maybe your hope is, man, I'm gonna go home and watch uh, the Bears crush the Chargers. Like, that's gonna happen. And so, man, that's your, that's your preferred future. I'm gonna go home and uh, take a nap today. Like, that's the plan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a sweet nap in. It's gonna be amazing. Or maybe your hope is to get some, some fall yard work done. Like, I cleaned up all the leaves yesterday and they're all back. Like, it just keeps coming, right? Maybe that's your hope, just get those leaves gone. Maybe, maybe you got some plans with friends or family. You're going to go out to dinner. You're going to go out to lunch. I don't know what your thing is today, but you have a plan today. And when you think about that plan, it's perfect, friends. It always is. It always is. Nobody dreams, man, I can't wait till I go home today and I get in my bed. I'm taking that perfect little nap and my kid just won't stop screaming. Nobody dreams that way. Like nobody dreams about the, the Chargers actually winning. Like that doesn't, that doesn't exist. Nobody Nobody thinks that way. Um, Nobody thinks, man, I can't wait till I have all my friends over to my house and we're gonna have lunch together and they're all gonna get food poisoning. Nobody thinks that way, but those things happen. When you dream about the future, you dream in this perfect way. Everything out there is just perfect. And the reality is, is like in the short term, it's kind of funny, but you do this in the long term as well. Every single one of us in this room and every single person on this planet has long-term dreams and hopes and they're always perfect. Man, when, when, I, when I land that dream job, when, when I can just get to that space where in my company, uh, man, I, I get the job where there, I get to work from home, there's unlimited vacation days, and I have more time for my family and the things that are actually going to bring flourishing to my life. Right? We believe that that's where flourishing is. Out there in the distance, when, I, when my stocks begin to actually move up and things begin to go right and then I can retire, like that's where I'm going to have time for the flourishing of my life, that that's where it's at. Man, when I just meet Mr. Right, and he's handsome, he's tall, he's charming, and he's got a great job, like, that's flourishing, baby, come on, right? Or, or Mrs. Right, like, she's, like, so hot, like, unbelievable, I can't wait. She's, she can, oh, my goodness, she just does everything. It's like, she, that's flourishing, like, that's out there. It's in the distance, it's in the future. When, when my kids, if I can just get my kids to, like, get them into, like, first grade, where I don't have to deal with them for, like, half the day, like, that's where I'm going to have time for true flourishing in my life. Or some of you are, like, already past that lie. You already realize that that's not true. And you're, like, man, why are my kids getting into college with a scholarship because it's perfect? Like, full ride. Like, that's when it's going to be. Like, that's when flourishing is going to take place in my life. Like, that's, that's the sweet sauce. Now, here, here's the reality. Two things that I want you to know about the perfect preferred future that don't really have much to do with what I'm talking about today, but can't just leave it hanging. 
Here's why I can stand up here and say, for sure, you dream in the perfect preferred future. Because the God of all things has placed deep within your soul a desire for a perfect preferred future. Who holds the keys to the perfect future? The God of heaven. And so there is an unquenchable, unsatisfiable desire in every human being that is placed there by the God of all things to lead them to him, the one who actually has the fulfillment of the longing of our souls. It's in you. He's placed it in you as a gift to lead you to him so that you would find those things. And some of you have. You've actually found those things. Like some of you are like super type A and you're like hardcore. You're like, I will get there. I will land that job. I'll find that person. And you found it. You actually got there. And you're like, oh my goodness, I finally got it. Unlimited vacation days. This is so amazing. Oh, what happened? I can't have, I don't have time to take off work. It didn't satisfy. Oh my gosh, I found Mr. Wright and he's tall and he's handsome. And wait, you don't, you don't know how to do that? Like you can't fold laundry? I, what? What happened? Like, you're supposed to be perfect. Like, you've actually attained it. You've actually gotten there. You actually made that amount of money. You actually, you finally got to that place of retirement. And for a moment, you were like, this is amazing. What happened to it? It didn't satisfy. It didn't last. So we go move from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing until hopefully, prayerfully, we find the ultimate thing. God has placed this desire in you. And it's good. And it's right. But here's the problem. So many of us never actually realize that there's something actually perfect that's going to fulfill. Like it's funny, like we can joke about it, how like how how like we as like young parents are like, oh no, if I could just get my kids to obey, then I would have flourishing, or if I could just get them to get into first grade, then they'll flourish. Like we because we know we know it's not true. We all know it's not true. You know it's not true. I know it's not true. And yet we keep pursuing it. That thing didn't satisfy, so I'm on to the next one. And that didn't satisfy, so I'm going to go on to this one. Oh, and that didn't work, so maybe, maybe this one will. And as, as we begin in our lives to put these things out there in the distance, out there in the future, above the one who actually has perfect flourishing on offer, these things that will never actually satisfy, above the one who actually does satisfy. The Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry. We're creating our own gods. Calvin said it this way. John Calvin, one of the greatest theologians who has ever lived, the great reformer, he says this. He says, the human mind, stuffed as it is with presumptuous rashness, dares to imagine a God suited to its own capacity. Here's what he's saying. He said, man, in our little pea brains, like we're so presumptuous, like we actually think in our little finite minds that I can create and shape and mold something. I can dream up something that will bring me more flourishing than the God of all things. That money, that job, that person, that career, this event, that's going to bring me more flourishing. Like that's the secret to success. We create in our own minds these false gods as it labors under dullness, nay, is sunk in the grossest ignorance. It substitutes vanity, an empty phantom, in the place of God. Big G, capital G, God. Right? Vanity. <clears throat> All of those things are vanity. If I just make enough money, if I just found like the perfect spouse, if I could just get the perfect job, if I could just get my boss's job, it's all vanity on vanity on vanity, and it's all phantom. It never actually fulfills. It never actually satisfies. It never actually, it's not true flourishing. 
It's never found there. So we create these false ideas that we, that we continue to chase after because there's something deep within us that longs for true human flourishing. We say, man, that's it. So we create it in our mind. Here's how Calvin says it. He says, to these things, another evil is added. It gets worse. The God whom man has thus conceived inwardly, he attempts to embody outwardly. The mind in this way conceives the idol and the hand gives it birth. Here's what he's saying. We dream it up in our mind and then we actually go after it. We actually begin to put all of our time, all of our mental capacity, all of our energy, our wealth, our resources into finding that thing. We build and create and shape our own gods and then we worship them with all of our lives. And here's the reality. Most of us in this room, most of us in this room are doing it right now. Like you don't think about it in that capacity. We don't think about it in that way. But your time and your talent and your treasure is all going to find that thing that you've created out there in the distance in the future. If I could just get there, we put everything into it. We are worshiping it with all that we are and all that we have, trying to gain it. This is what we do. Now, here's where I'm going with this. There's something that all of those perfect preferred futures have in common. And yours might be different. Maybe I didn't even hit yours. Like maybe yours is like, you're like, Josh, I'm not into that. I don't need money. I don't need, I don't need some person to satisfy me. Maybe yours is different. Maybe you're like, I just want that cabin in the woods. Or I don't know what your thing is, but I know you have one. There's something that's the same in all of them. Something in your life, an external thing has to change in order for that to become a reality. There's an external change that has to happen in your life in order for that to be reached. I need to meet Mr. Wright. I need to make more money. I need to get my boss, my boss needs to retire so I can get his job. I need, to, I need my stocks to grow so that I can retire. I need to, whatever it is, I need my kids to behave. There's an external change that needs to take place in your life in order for you to ever reach those things. Friends, what if, what if the key to all true human flourishing True, everlasting flourishing, the life that Jesus has on offer is not an external change out there in the distance in the future, but an internal change that needs to happen right now. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear hear this. True flourishing will not come as a result of external change. It only comes as a result of internal change. Our problem is our heart The problem is that our heart is constantly creating these idols, constantly manufacturing them. Our hearts need to change. We need an internal transformation. Something must change within us. And the problem is, man, you can't do that. You can't change your heart. Every human being is doing this. Every human being on the planet Earth is desiring those things. What hope do you have? You can't change your heart. We need a God who would take up residence inside of us and go to work in us to reshape and remold our loves, to remold and reshape our thoughts and the desires of our minds, the things that we dream up, that they might be of him and not of the things of this world, that we might actually see and understand what true flourishing is and see those things as not necessarily bad things, but things that are never going to actually fulfill the promises they're making to us. They're not going to fulfill 
a bigger house, a better car, more money, a, a, a better person. It's not going to actually fulfill. We need an internal change in our heart. The bad news is that you can't do that. You have no hope of actually changing your own heart. Sorry. But the good news is, this is the work of our God. It's what he does. Look with me at that passage in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Reads this way. Therefore, therefore, my beloved, this is Paul talking to the church in Philippi, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, listen to this, for it is God who works where? In you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God. It's, it's God who, who goes to work in you. Like God's commute, God's daily commute to the office is in, is in you. Just kidding, he never actually leaves you. But when he goes to work, he's working in you. It's what he does. He's working in you. He's to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? There are certain things in the life of a true follower of Jesus when God comes to reign inside of your heart and he goes to work inside of your heart. There are certain things he says, that's never happening anymore and I'm gonna will it towards my good pleasure. And there are certain things he says, okay, that's gonna be a process for your good. Like there's gonna be times when I'm just gonna let you kind of suffer in that and you'll come back to me and we're gonna work through this again and again and again. We're gonna work, but it's gonna be work for my good pleasure. And friends, hear me. His good pleasure right now in your life is far better than any of those things out there in the distance in the future that you can dream up in your little tiny mind. Like those things that you've created in your mind to fit your own, these little gods you've created to fit your own capacity, as Calvin says, and those so small little things, they are nothing in comparison to his good pleasure. And so if, if you want to experience his good pleasure in your life right now, today, he, hear me. There is nothing you can do to produce that. You've got to understand this. Because everything in us wants to produce it. We want to build. We want to create. He is the one who's going to do it. We, we buy into this lie that in some way, shape, or form, I can produce, I can create flourishing. You can't. You, you see, every religion on the planet, every single one of them, you, you just think of one in your mind, plays on this desire of the soul. Every single one of them. That there's something deep within us that longs for true flourishing. And they say, okay, here it is, right? Here it is. If you just do these things... If you, just, if you just follow all of these commandments, then there's flourishing. If you just give enough money to our organization, then there's flourishing. If you just earn the title or earn the status, if you just volunteer in the right way, that's flourishing. Hear me, external changes, baby. That's all external. External changes will never bring true flourishing to your life. Everything in the Bible, everything in the Bible says that God goes to work in us to produce flourishing outside of us. Doing more does not produce flourishing. It never has for anybody. And so we bury ourselves underneath the weight of religion. Do more, do more, do more, give more, give more, give more, become more, become more, become more. And we're tired. We're worn out. We're weary. Because God is not working in us. We've bought in this lie that if, if I just clean up my life, 
If, if I just get my stuff together, then, then God will love me more. Then he'll produce flourishing in my life. And some of you have been doing this for years, and it's not there. You've created the illusion of it, the appearance of it. You've worked so hard, the whitewashed tomb. Look how good it looks. Look how beautiful it is. But inside, you are just dying. You're like, this, this stinks, man. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. You need a good God who goes to work in you. Test your life. Test your life. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. How do we know if we're in the faith? How do we know? Test yourselves, he says. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is what? It's in you. Well, unless indeed you feel the test. You see, the litmus test of faith is not one's behavior, but one's God. You want to know? You want to know if you are in? You want to know if if your faith is real and genuine and true? Don't, Don't look at what you do. Look at what God is doing in you. You can, you can fake it all day long, man. Don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. You can create the appearance of change all day long. But when was the last time you sat down and just tested your heart and said, where is the God of all things doing something in me that I can't do on my own? Where is he producing something in me that I can't produce on my own? Where is flourishing being produced in my thoughts and in my loves that I could not change? Is the God of all things, is Christ at work in you? Or are you just at work on you, trying to change all of your external circumstances to meet his demands? Don't buy into that lie. There's no flourishing at the end of it. You may be appeasing your conscience, but you're not appeasing your God. Some of us have been sold half of the gospel. Even, even as I've kind of traveled around and preached at different churches and, and listened to other preachers, like we, we hear kind of this half gospel, or maybe it's even like a third of the gospel, that, that Jesus went to the cross to purchase and redeem us from the curse of sin. So we're bought out from underneath the curse of sin. Praise God. That is true. Jesus goes to the cross and he bleeds the ground red to, to take the punishment for the, for the penalty that we could not pay. He died the death so that we would not have to die it. And so in his death, he purchased us out from underneath the weight of that sin, the curse of sin, the curse of death. We're purchased out from underneath it. And now we're free to, to live our lives. No. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's like a third of it, maybe even a quarter of it. You see, Jesus did die on the cross to purchase and redeem you from the curse of sin and death. Yet That's true. I didn't say it wasn't true. I just said that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is that, yes, he died on the cross to purchase and redeem you from your sin, but he raised from the grave to clothe you in his own righteousness. He cleansed you and made you white as wool, pure snow, so that he could take up residence inside of you and go to work on your heart and go to work on your mind and go to work on your soul. That's the gospel. Jesus wants to transform you from the inside out, from one degree of glory to another, into his own likeness. He wants you to look like him. He wants to give you a heart like his heart and give you a mind like his mind. That's the gospel. He wants to transform the world by creating millions of people who look like him. 
Not a million people who are trying to act like him, but who are actually like him, that actually love the things that he loves and are mindful of the things that he's mindful of, who have their hearts fixed on him. We cannot just continue to buy into this half gospel. The hope of Christ, the hope of glory in your life is not the cross of Christ. Now, some of you just got really uncomfortable, but it's true. The hope of glory in your life is not the cross of Christ. I didn't say that, by the way. Paul did. He says it in Colossians 127, he says, to them, to them, to the Jews, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory for your life is not the cross, it's Christ in you. It's, it's the outworking of the cross, Christ taking up a residence inside of you. That's the only hope you have. I read Calvin earlier, I want to read him again, and probably again and again. Calvin says this, he says, first, remember, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Friends, all, all I want you to see is this. The, the most valuable thing in your life is what God is doing in you. The, the treasure, the sweetness, the, the most, the goal of your life must be your own sanctification. The goal of your life must be that God would work mightily in your heart and mind. The most valuable thing must be Christ in you. Not, not those hopes and dreams out there in the distance in the future. And some of those are good things. Like, in fact, I would say 99% of them are good. In this room, listen, no, nobody, nobody in this room is dreaming up horrendous bad things. Like, you just want your kids to obey. Like, that's not bad. You just want to get a job. Like, that's not, that's not bad. Like, you just want a little bit more flexibility in your life. That's, that's okay. Some of you are like, I want to be on a beach in Fiji with a drink in my hand and some money in my pocket. That's not a bad thing. I'll come visit you. That'll be amazing. <laughs> but when those things become greater to you, when you invest more of your time and more of your talent and more of your treasure, more of all of the commodities of your life, your mental capacity is driven by those things. Rather than the work that Christ is doing in you, man, that's where all of the flourishing in your life begins to crumble. There is no hope for flourishing in your life when you value those things over what Christ is doing in you. Christ in you must be the most important thing in your life. It must be if you're ever going to experience real, true, human flourishing. There's no other way. To become like Jesus means that our motivations are transformed. Our desires are transformed. Our hunger for earthly things diminishes. Our hunger for him increases. To become like Jesus means that we find security in our true identity in Christ and release our grasp on the lies that this world tells us is true of success true fulfillment, true flourishing. We see the lie. We cling all the more tightly to the source of all human hope and all human flourishing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, how does all of this, how does all of this, this there's nothing more important than Christ in you. How does, that, how does that produce flourishing in your life? That's the question that we're after this morning. Now, some of you are like, I can connect the dots, Josh. Um, 
I'm just going to give you two ways. There's, there's an easy dozen. There's an easy dozen ways. I'm just going to give you two, okay? The first is this. It frees us from the lie that those things are going to satisfy. Again, I said they're not all bad things, but they're not satisfying things either. They're not things that lead us into true flourishing. So, so as we begin to experience the true flourishing, as we begin to pursue Christ working in our heart and working in our mind, suddenly those things become of less and less and less value. It's not that we don't want them. Like if, if you get the job, great. If, if, you, if you find that special someone, awesome. But if you don't, there's no less satisfaction, no less joy, no less flourishing happening in your life because you've already found the source of all true human flourishing. And he's at work in your heart and at work in your mind to bring that truth, to bring about his good pleasure. He's willing and working in you for his good pleasure, which is far better than those things. And so we're free from them. Not only are we free from them, but we actually free other people from them as well because we actually become a source of flourishing in other people's lives. Christ's love, the way that he is transforming us, becomes a source of flourishing in other people's lives. They see the picture in us. Look real quick. It'll be up on the screen. 2 Peter 1.4 says this about this internal transformation. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine Nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So as Christ is working in our hearts, he's transforming us to have hearts and minds that share in his divine nature. His divine, you become, you share in his divine nature. That's amazing. Like that, that's, that's unbelievable. You can't produce that. You can't create that. He has to do that in you. Right, so how does somebody become a king? Not a true question. Like, how do you become a king? It's actually not how it works. Um, it's violent and dark. Um, no, if I brought you up on the stage and I put a crown on your head, and I was like, look, king. No, it doesn't work that way. If I like rented out like a sweet castle, like Ireland, we go to Ireland, we get a sweet castle, I put you on the throne, I give you a robe and a crown and a staff, I pull out a sword, I ignite you. Like, amazing. Is he a king? No. How do you become a king? You're born into it. You have to, by blood. By blood. In, in, in a minute, my friends are going to come out here. i got three friends who are going to be baptized today. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, baptism is the beginning of the path of flourishing for our lives. And we go under the water. There's death there. There's no life. You stay there. You die. I promise. Like, that's why we don't hold you under too long, okay? You come out. It's new life. It's new life. It's, you're reborn into Christ. We are now adopted as sons and daughters, heirs to the throne of grace. We share in the, in the, as children of the royal priesthood. We are now partakers in that. We're born into it. He says, man, I want to go to work in your soul now. We begin now. And then he goes to work in our soul. We go to work in our heart to transform us into divine nature. It takes training to actually act like a king. But fellas, let me tell you this. If there's any hope in your life of your wife ever experiencing the love of Christ from you, 
It's going to come from a work that he does in you, not some book you read or something you try. I'm going to try so hard. Listen, I've bought into that lie. I have bought into that lie. I've just got to try harder. I've just got to try harder. I've just got to try harder. It never works. Short seasons, short seasons of like, oh, it's working. No, we're right back to where we started. Like anybody on the cycle of like the same argument for the past like five years in your marriage? Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, you're laughing because it's true. It's, it's all a trap. It's not going to produce flourishing. We need an internal transformation to give us a heart and a mind like Christ that we might love our wives in that way. Same thing for wives for their husbands. Listen, my single friends in the room, I ain't picking on you, but listen, if there's any hope of your husband or your, or your wife ever loving you as Christ loves you, they better be passionate about what Christ is doing in their heart and their mind. If not, you should, you should kick them to the curb because it's never going to happen for you. It's, just, it's never going to happen. We need an internal transformation to free us from the lies of this world, to free us to loving Jesus more than we love the things of this world, and so that other people in our lives might experience the same thing through us. Second one is this. It comforts us. I mean, the work of Christ in us comforts us. There's a deep comfort in what Christ is doing and producing in us. So, so Paul puts it this way in Philippians 1, 6. If you want to learn more about Christ in you, Philippians. Again and again and again, Paul's like, he's working in you. Look what he's doing in you. Look at what he's producing in you. He's in you. Read, read Philippians. Philippians 1, 6 reads this way. It says, I, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work in you in you, that, that work, that it was started when you were baptized into Christ. Man, that's, that's continuing. He, he is going to continue working in you until he brings it to completion at the day of his returning, at the day of Christ. When he comes back, that's completion. And, and so if, if right now everything in my life falls apart, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's still working in me. There's more resource, there's more love, there's more to give, there's more to offer in me, there's more flourishing in me than I could ever produce outside of me. And, and so if, if the dream job comes, you landed it, you nailed it, good job, high five, and then a year later you lose that job. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. There's more resource in you. What do you have to lose? You have, you've lost nothing because all of the flourishing, all of the goodness is being produced in you. It's not a condition of your external circumstances. Like for the single moms and single dads in the room who are just like, I, this is a job for two and I can't handle it. Like I, I can't do this anymore. Like this is too much. This is, I shouldn't have to do all this. Man, if, if, cry, if you're passionate about what Christ is doing in you, he is producing enough love and enough grace and enough mercy for those kids than any other parent outside of Christ. Like, no other parent outside of Christ has that. Like, you have more to offer those kids alone with Jesus than any parent outside of Christ. There's comfort there. Man, you can get as extreme as you want. You can get as crazy as you want. You've got, the doctor calls and there's no cure for what you have. It's, it's cancer. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that day's coming soon for you, baby. Praise the Lord. Like, and the lie of the world, listen, the lie of the world is like, I'm gonna miss out on flourishing. 
Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss out on this. And I'm, what if I don't get to see that? And like, there's, there, that's where the flourishing is at. No, the flourishing is here. And you're like, you're about to get there. Like, you're, the completion is coming sooner for you than it's coming for me. And that's amazing. Like, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that he is bringing you to completion, to true flourishing. It's coming now for you. Like, the fullness of it is coming now for you. And if you're in Christ and he's at work in you, you've, you test yourself and you see Christ working in you. You become passionate about him working in you. That flourishing is being produced now in your life. You're tasting it now. You're seeing it now. You're seeing it in your marriage. You're seeing it in your parents and your parenting. You're seeing it in your career. You're, you're, and other people are seeing it in you. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members are seeing it in you. You're like, what? What is that? You're like, it's my divine nature, baby. You're like, don't lead with that. Don't, don't say that. That's <laughs> arrogant. But it's true. It's the divine nature of Christ being produced in you. How sweet is that, that you get to taste that now? How sweet is that you get to see that now and experience that now? Like, what is going to rob you of any true flourishing when you have the source of all human flourishing? So here's next week, next week we're going to talk about what is our role in this? What, what do we have to do in order to tap into this? And that's a dangerous question because I already said sanctification is God working in us and don't buy into the lie that there's something that you need to do because there's not. But there are things that we can do to foster and to grow in God working in our hearts and our minds. There's nothing that we can do to actually produce it, but there's things that we can do in our, in our lives to foster it and to be more mindful of it and to experience it all the more deeply. We're gonna unpack that next week. Here's what we're gonna do. In a minute, we're gonna sing. And I have three friends who are getting baptized today, which is awesome. Um, they're beginning this today. They said, man, I, that path of flourishing starts now. It starts today. All right, when Jesus was baptized, he comes to the water at the Jordan, and uh, John the Baptist is there. And he's like, all right, I'm ready to get baptized. And John's like, I'm not baptizing you, man. You don't need to be baptized. You, 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 don't, you don't need that. You, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says. Like, I ain't doing that. And Jesus is like, no, 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 this is the right thing to do because this, this is where it begins. This is the beginning of my ministry. This is the beginning of the path of flourishing. And so I need a model for all humanity. I need a model for all people what it actually looks like to begin to come after me. And so the beginning of it is baptism, where we go under the water. It's death to the old life and resurrection to the new. It's a cleansing and washing of our old sins and trusting in the completed work of Christ to begin a new work in us. And so he, here's what I want to do. Uh, Brett's going to play. The band's going to play one more song. We're just going to sing together and just declare the work of Christ in this place. If for you, if for you, this morning, th there's just a pull on your life. You say, man, I'm not experiencing that flourishing. Yeah, yeah I got baptized once and but I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I got wet. It was like going to the swimming pool, but it wasn't like, I didn't actually know what Christ had done for me. I didn't, I didn't actually know, or I've never experienced it. I've never been a part of that. I'll tell you what, I would love to just talk to you about that, and I'd love to pray with you. I'm not telling you you have to get baptized today. In fact, we got, we got more people getting baptized next week. You can get baptized next week. That's fine. But I, I'll be right out in the, in the lobby while they're singing, and I'd love to just pray with you. Just pray that God will begin that path of flourishing in your life and begin to produce that in your heart. I'd love to pray with you for that. And so just 
As we sing, just say, hey, excuse me. And the people, people around you aren't going to judge you. They're going to be excited for you. And I'll just be back there. I'd love to pray for you out, out in the lobby. Let's do this. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and we are reminded of the truth that there is nothing that we can do to produce flourishing. There's nothing that we can do to bring salvation to our lives. It's not in us. It's not within the realms of human capacity. It's not in our brains. It's not in our hands. It's not in our hearts. All hope lies in you. That the God of all things would give up his life for us to die the death that we could not die, to die in our place, that he might raise from the grave to clothe us in his own righteousness, to take the full burden of sin from us, not in part, but in full, to wash us white as wool, pure as snow, that we might be freed from the curse of sin and freed from the curse of death, clothed in his righteousness so that a holy and blameless and spotless God might draw into us and produce an inward and eternal transformation of our heart and our mind and our soul. We praise you. We give you thanks. You are worthy. You are worthy of, of our whole entire life. And so might we be a people who surrender all that we are and all that we have to you? Why we not cling to the things of this world and put our hopes in silly little dreams that we create in our minds? But might we give everything we are and everything we have to seeing you go to work at our hearts and in our minds? And so would you begin that today, not just in my three friends who are being baptized, but in many, many people in this room and around the world. Would we know you and love you and trust you? Would we release our grasp and cling all the more tightly to you? I pray these things in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.